Hey, this is Scott. Thanks for checking out the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church. Hope it's encouraging for you and helps you take your next steps in your faith journey. Enjoy. Welcome to you all. Thanks for being here with us, those that are here, and there's some folks maybe even online, and if at any point as we're having this discussion you get lost in the story and the narrative, the power goes out while you're home or the internet connection goes down, you can catch up with what we're talking about here uh, through our website or even our app. We just kind of keep that up to date there, and more importantly, as you listen to what we're talking about over this series, there's going to be a time where you say, you know who needs to hear this? My brother-in-law needs to hear this. My mom needs to hear this because none of us actually need to hear it, right? It's always somebody else, and it's available for them as well, and I'd encourage you to do that, especially, you know, if you have a hard time staying awake. Last week's message will get you awake no matter what. It was a spirited one for sure, or maybe you're in life group, you know, like we talk about sometimes what we've discussed it during the message, and there's questions available on that app as well. Now, kind of the bottom line of what we're talking about in this series is the foundation of the American dream, which is I'm going to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, where I want to do it, with whom I want to do it, and uh, there's always this little footnote, though, isn't there? As long as it doesn't hurt anyone. As long as it doesn't hurt anyone. I can do whatever I want to do, when I want to do, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. The problem with that, as we talked about last week, is that When you do that, you're always going to hurt somebody because you're going to inevitably hurt you, and you are somebody. And if you hurt you, you know, you're going to hurt the people that love you. You're going to hurt your parents. You're going to hurt your brothers and sisters and your friends that care about you. And, And maybe we don't think about this very often, but we also end up hurting the people that come, like, after us, who follow after us as well. And last week, we we said, you know, some of us are just kind of dysfunctional. We look, we look at our lives, we would say, why do I behave in this particular kind of way? Why does it happen that way? And when you kind of stop and pull a Dr. Phil and you analyze your own life, you just start to recognize, well, I do this because that's what my parents did. That's what my mom did. She always had those kinds of patterns, and we just kind of self-diagnose it sometimes. And we look at that, and if you were to check in with your parents, when they were kind of setting the course for their life, they would look at what they did, and they would say, hey, you know what, I'm, I can do whatever I want to do, and this isn't hurting anybody. The problem is they never took you into account, and it's been hurting you ever since. So it's, it's, it's now we're at this place where we get to decide, is this something that we want to pass on to the next generation? Now, this kind of looks different in different stages of our lives, doesn't it? When you're a teenager, 
that idea of I'm going to do whatever I want to do, you just kind of cross your arms and say, Mom and Dad, I'm not going to follow. It looks like a certain way there. And then you get into college. You have your freshman year of college, and then there was like your sophomore year of college when you were at a different college, right? Because you hurt someone at the first college and you kind of wasted your parents' money at the first one, right? That kind of happens for some of us as well. But then you go on and life just starts to look a little different over time. You get into your 40s and your 50s and now, you know, you still kind of want to act like an adolescent, but now you're overweight and you just have more money to deal with, right? But it still, it just looks different, in these different stages, but I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it, and nobody's going to tell me what to do as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. The problem is it always hurts somebody. Now, driving this conversation is this book in the Old Testament called the Book of Judges, the Book of Judges, and it's a book of the history of the ancient Israelites, and in the book of Judges, what is, it's in this time period where the people are entering into the promised land. So if you know anything about church history, you know there's like uh, Moses lets, kind of takes the people out of Egypt. Moses dies and he kind of hands the mantle over to Joshua. And things were going great as long as Joshua was in charge in the promised land as they were kind of settling into that space. You know, Joshua wasn't the king but he was responsible, to, like God was the king, and so he was responsible to take the laws of God and help the people of God kind of follow those laws. Things were going great as long as Joshua was involved, you know. And it's really fascinating because they were a nation without a king that was gonna be governed simply by law. Like in ancient cultures, no one ever tried to do that and until like kind of like the United States came along, we're like this great experiment. Can we not have a king? Back then, no one even attempted that. So God was king, you know, it's a nation of law, the authority of God, Joshua set up, but Joshua then dies, and they go through this period of time of about 300 years where the way that they were governed were with these judges. Now when you hear the word judges, don't think a court of law, think uh, of like a tribal chieftain, someone who's responsible to kind of uh, lead the people, to bring God's law to the people, and then God would often use these judges to deliver them when they got into trouble. That's who they were. But what's fascinating about the book, and we kind of saw this a little bit last week, is that it's really a tragedy. If we're going to be a literary genre, you know, you've got like Shakespearean comedies and Shakespearean tragedies. I always find it's really helpful to know going into a story which of those categories it fits in because it helpfully writes your expectations, right? It's a tragedy because the people just keep getting worse and worse and worse because they went through this cycle of rebelling against God. They would disobey him. This disaster would come upon them. They would cry out to God. God would deliver them. They would say, well, I'm never going to do that again. And it would stick for like a couple seconds, and then they would disobey God again. This disaster would come upon them, and then God would deliver them. And this happened over and over and over again. And what we kind of looked at last week was just how bad it got just how intense this tragedy was. In fact, the judges, if you read through the judges, and you're gonna see some characters pop up, these people who served as the judges, we're gonna talk about them in the weeks to come. They keep getting worse and worse and worse as time goes on. Even the judges, even the leaders get worse and worse. And we saw how bad it got last week. I mean, it was horrible. 
It's horrible. It's like Halloween 4 meets deliverance. I mean, it is just terrible. It's horrible. Now, the beginning of the book, though, uh, is, is such contrast, in such contrast. As, 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 um, as the end of the book kind of finished out, we believe Samuel wrote the book. Most scholars kind of think Samuel did that. And he ended the whole time, the whole, the whole book, he ended with this phrase. After you saw just how nasty it got, it said, in those days, there was no king over Israel. And everybody did what was right in their own eyes. I'm gonna do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, with whom I want to do it, but they weren't quite as civilized as we were, so it wasn't even as long as no one got hurt. They just did it, and who cares if people got hurt, and that's kind of where we began, but when you step back to the beginning of the book, it's such a, it's such a contrast. It's kind of funny because at the beginning of the book of Judges, it's kind of like the last night of church camp, the last night of church camp, and maybe you grew up in like that kind of thing, you know, maybe you went to Momentum or something like that, and you can identify what I'm talking about, you'll get where I'm coming from, but maybe you didn't, and if you didn't, if you didn't already have like a view of Christians being kind of weird, this will completely convince you that we're weird, right? But at the end of church camp, the end of church camp, this is what, what would have happened, and you see if you follow me. On the end of church camp, what do all the girls do? The last night of church camp, the last night of momentum, what do all the girls do? They all cry. They all cry because it's been this complete week and they've been learning Bible verses and they've been singing songs and they've been making friends and they've had these deep commitments that they've made. And they get to the end and they're, they're very emotional and they're thinking about these changes they want to make in their lives. And they get to the last night of church camp and at that point, you know what they're ready to do? They're ready to like, when they get home, they're going to break up with their boyfriend. They're going to break up with their girlfriend. They're going to throw away their stash. You know, they're going to make it right with their parents. For me, it was I'm going to throw away my Bone Thugs and Harmony CD because I had just bought it before I went to Momentum. And I was like, I can't have this ungodly stuff, so I got to get rid of that, you know, and buy some Rebecca St. James instead. And so I went from... I went from Bone Thugs and Harmony to Rebecca St. James. She's good, better looking anyway, right? So, so like that's, that was the big change I was going to make when I was getting done with church camp. And at that point, you know, they're just thinking about all these things are going to change in their life, and they're going to quit smoking, and they're going to get rid of those magazines. They're not going to hang out with the wrong kind of friends. I mean, they pretty much just kind of quit their whole life, <laughs> right? That's what the end of church camp was, and it was good, and it was an important time. And I think about it in my life, actually, there's some deep commitments that I made at that. It was, it was good, but it was emotional, right? It was this Kleenex fest. That's what the book of Judges starts at. That's how it all begins, like the last night of camp. And what happens is Joshua, he's getting ready to die, and he gathers the people, and he prepares this big speech to kind of give them this charge and, 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 and this is what he says to them. And this is going to be on page 163 in your orange Bibles. If you want to follow along, you can. It'll be on the screen too. In Joshua chapter 24, kind of as we get out of Joshua and into Judges, this is what Joshua stands in front of them and says. He says, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods that your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. 
And basically, listen, this is code for throw away your Bone Thugs and Harmony CD. This is, this is code for break up with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Get rid of those things that are just like polluting your life. And so he gives them this long speech and he tells them and he gives them this charge and this is how the people respond in verse 16 of Joshua chapter 24. The people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord and serve the other gods. Far be it from us, Joshua. Don't you worry, Joshua, when you're gone, we're gonna remain faithful, they, they were convinced. And then verse 17, they say, it was the Lord, our God himself, who brought us and our parents out of Egypt from that land of slavery. We don't wanna go back to that, Joshua. We remember, we've heard the stories, what it was like when we had a different kind of king. And we remember the Pharaoh thing, and we don't wanna, we don't wanna go back to that kind of slavery. He says that we remember the God who performed these great signs before our eyes. And so they said, man, we're gonna serve the Lord. We're, we've made our decision. God is our king. He's given us his law. We're gonna be bent in that direction. So you don't have to worry about us because we remember all the stories that our parents told us and our grandparents told us and we don't wanna be under the authority of like a foreign king. We'll never go back to that. And then if you read on, this is what Joshua says. Joshua says, I bet you will. I bet you will. You're gonna go back. And they're like, no, 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 we're not, we're not gonna do that. And he says, listen, I'm telling you, I know you think you've learned your lesson. I know you think you have strong resolve. But you're not strong enough to let down your guard. You're not strong enough to say, hey, I don't have to be diligent about this. You think you've learned your lesson, and you think you've learned the pain and the sorrow that comes along with compromising God's word. The people just said to him, hey, listen, no, we're going to serve the Lord. And so he just says, okay, I've warned you. And then Joshua dies. And it tells us that before the flowers on his tomb had even died yet, this is what happens tells us in Judges chapter two, it says, then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They hadn't even changed their clothes from Joshua's funeral, and the next thing you know, they're doing exactly the thing that Joshua said, be careful, because this is going to pull you in. Don't do this. They swore they would never do it, and they got back from church camp, they got back from momentum, and they went right back to the same kinds of behaviors they said they would never do, and then the text goes on, verse 12 of Judges chapter two. It says, they forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt, and they followed and worshiped the various gods of the peoples around them. So they're in this land, they would see the Canaanites, they would see the people that already lived there, and they were like, I want that in my life. I need some of that. Look at what everyone else is doing. Do you see how free they are? Do you see how they're not bound by these kinds of rules? I feel like a weirdo because I have to follow these laws of God. I don't want to feel like I'm on the outs. I don't want to be the oddball. I don't want to be differentiated. And so they abandoned their invisible king. They abandoned the law of God and they just kind of immersed themselves in the culture of the Canaanites. 
right after Joshua had warned them, and they, they swore they would never go back. And so the text continues and says, they aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served the Baal and the Ashtoreths. There's Baal, the Ashtoreths were like the female version of the Baal, the, the idols. And the problem wasn't simply that they were worshiping a false idol. The Ten Commandments, as God was setting uh, kind of uh, the governance of his people up, he said, listen, don't bow down to anything that's gonna be in the image of a, of, of, of a God of any sort. And so that was a big no-no as Israelites. But not only was that the problem, one of the primary problems was this. Was it's what went along with worshiping these false idols of the Baals and the Ashtoreths. Because when things got bad, they would sacrifice people to get the attention of these gods. When things got really bad, they would sacrifice their children. The more intense the sacrifice, the more it would grip the heart of their false god. And when there was famine, when the enemy was around their gates getting ready to attack, they would sacrifice multiple children and infants and babies, throwing them into the fire. In fact, the historians kind of record a period of time when the richest people in, in the kingdom were told that they have to sacrifice their firstborn in order to get attention from their gods. And so God's like, man, you can't be a part of that. That's evil. Don't, don't get into that. And they'd get the people kind of dip themselves into this horrible, horrible lifestyle. And so see what happens in Judges chapter two, verse 14. It says this, in his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of the raiders who plundered them. He sold them, and this is so harsh, into the hands of their enemies all around whom they were no longer able to resist, and they were in great distress. Basically, God said, they said, okay, you like the Canaanites? How about I let you be conquered by the very people you copied? How how about I, I let you be conquered by the very culture that you copied and you abandoned me freely and you embraced their ways freely but come on, what have you lost? You've lost the very thing that was the most important to you, your freedom. You remember, Israelites, you remember what that was like in Egypt? No, of course you don't, you weren't there but your parents were there and your grandparents were there. You heard those stories. You remember how excited they were when they no longer had to be under the oppression of the Pharaoh? this pagan king, and now you have willingly chosen to walk away from the God that loves you to embrace the culture of the Canaanites. And so God would say, listen, if you like it so much, then have at it. And the next thing you know, they weren't conquering the nations around them. They were being conquered by them. They were being conquered by them and they forsook their God and they followed those people around them and in the end of all of that led to them losing their freedom. And, and, and in the end, listen, here's, here's the point. Here's the point of today's message and it just kind of sneaks up on us. If we're not paying attention, we never see it coming until it's too late and it kind of puts us in this cycle of I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it until you're like, uh-oh, I'm doing what I want to do when I want to do it but... I don't like it, and now I can't get out of it, and I can't quit. And it's this, that Israel simply traded one king for another. 
Israel traded one king for another. They were no longer able to resist, and they willingly walked away from God, and they found themselves in a place where they couldn't even go back. Now, there's this humongous lesson kind of for all of us, you know, and it's almost almost not even worth mentioning because we all kind of have our own story here. You know, whether, whether you're a Christian and you grew up in church and you knew the Ten Commandments and maybe you even memorized some scripture, you know, and it kind of was in your conscience about what's right and what's wrong and you would, you would say, I think I have clarity on what God wants for me in my life, you know, and, and you said, God, I've, I've had it with you. I'll never go back. And at some point, you just kind of say, you know, I'm tired of being a Christian, tired of giving up all my, you know, I, I want to look like them, look at how much fun they're having partying on the weekend, and you just kind of want to give up being a church person. Or maybe you didn't even make like a solid decision, but it was a gradual kind of slow fade just away from that, and you walked away. Maybe, maybe it wasn't even that overt. Maybe you weren't even a a Christian, but you just kind of grew up in a good home, and you kind of had a Judeo-Christian worldview and ethics, and you just did what was kind of right in your own home, but somewhere along the line, you said, you know what, I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. I don't need a king. I certainly don't need a God, and it doesn't seem like he even cares about me too much in the first place, and then, and then you wake up one day, wherever you're at in that story, and you just realize, I haven't gained my freedom my expression of freedom actually ended up in me having a loss of freedom. And we've just exchanged one king for another. Now, th- this might be a little bit offensive. You know, don't tune me out, just think about it later. But you were created, which means that you have a creator, which means that you weren't created to be your own king. And this is kind of the offensive part here, which means that you were created to be ruled over. Which means when you say no to one king, you always choose another one. And there's no such thing, listen, there's no such thing as absolute and total autonomy. Like we want it, we all want it. That's a part of our American tapestry. But until you can predict your own birth or control your own birth, until you can predict when you're gonna get cancer, when you're gonna get sick, and when you're gonna die, you're not completely autonomous, are you? C.S. Lewis, um, he wrote a, a book called The Great Divorce, and it's not about divorce, it's actually about hell. And he says, no one knows what hell is like, but this is how I'm gonna describe it. And he says, this is my version of hell. He says, in hell, everyone can have everything they want just by thinking of it. And how, in hell, you can have everything you want by thinking of it, and, and no one can get along. And no one lives anywhere close to anyone because they all got what they wanted. They got total autonomy. That's what hell is. And no one can get along. And, and you were created to be ruled. And when you say no to the creator king, you just say yes to another different kind of king. For example, how about the king of appetite? The king of appetite. You know, I want what I want when I want it. Isn't that, isn't that the king of appetite? 
And one day you choose your appetite, what your body wants over God, and you would say, you know, I am tired of wrestling temptation. I'm tired of feeling like a failure. I'm tired all the time, and so I'm just going to give in to this appetite. And then a few weeks, a few months, a few years later, you're saying, "Uh uh-oh. Now I can't get free from this appetite, and you can't say no, and you're ruled by your appetite, and then it dawns on you. I've traded one king for another. Or how about lust? And we're going to talk about this in a couple weeks with Samson. You don't want to miss that. And you, you see this image in this body of this person or this type of person, and you think, man, I've got to have that. I want what they have to offer. And you think gratification in that kind of way is gonna, what's going to make you happy in life. And if I can just have that, if I can have that image, if I can have that person by my side, then, then I'm going to finally have what I really want in life. But then you find that this addiction to pornography means that you can't actually have a real relationship with a real person in front of you. And you can't get away from it even when you want to. So there's, there's all sorts of things. There's fear and comparison and greed and lust. But then there's like your family history. Let's talk about family history for just a moment. You know, I, I know some of y'all, and I know some of you, some of your prime goal in life would be this, that I'm not going to be like my dad. I'm not going to be like my mom. I'm not going to be like my parents. My family isn't going to be like my family of origin. That's our, that's our goal, and we're, we're going to say history will not repeat itself. But then at some point along the way, you kind of like walk away from God, you abandon Him. And just because I've walked alongside of people, I, I want to tell you something, that when a man or a woman intentionally or accidentally turns their back on God, you can mark it down. And, and you can argue with me about this, but then in three, five, ten years, you'll come back and you'll say, Pastor Scott, you were right. You can mark it down that your family history will repeat itself. You were made to be ruled. Not controlled, but ruled. And your best bet for breaking the chains of your family history is not doing what you want to do when you want to do it with whom you want to do it. That's how it all started. And when you play back tape and you say, man, how did our family get into this mess in this first place? Why is it our uncle's just getting smashed every time he comes to Thanksgiving? And why do we have to deal with this every Thanksgiving that this happens? Why is that my family? Every time you play it back, you'll see someone who did what they wanted to do when they wanted to do it. And if you do the same thing, history's gonna repeat itself. If there, come on, if, if there's a God that loves you, if there's a God who understands the power that forgiveness has to break those chains from the past, and if there's a God that wants for you something better for you and your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids, if there's a God that loves you, why wouldn't you say yes to the Creator King? But I'm telling you, just this, I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it. It's just going to trade one king for another. You're surrendering to another king. Because this is what the little kings tell you. Little kings whisper in your ear. Oh yeah, just tell them. Tell them you won't. You won't, you won't. 
be your own man, be your own woman. I won't obey, I won't conform, I won't forgive him, I won't stay with her, I won't stay with him. I'm not gonna live on a budget, I'm not gonna do what you say, I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't. And the little kings say, that's our mantra, that's our motto, that's our baseline rule, that's how we operate. Those are our marching orders. I'm not gonna tell you and let, let anyone tell you what to do. Until some time later, you find yourself waking up and saying, I can't, I can't, I can't stop, I can't get away from this, I can't undo this, I can't back out, I want to change, but I can't, I want to go back to the way it was, I want to go back to the days where I had a clear conscience, I want to go back to the days when maybe no one liked me, but at least I liked myself. I want to go back to those days when I was at least around a healthy community where we were all going in the direction that I wanted my life to go in. I can't seem to get back there. Listen, those little kings of lust and greed and insecurity and family, like all of that stuff, all of those little kings, they don't love you. They don't have your best interests in mind and they tempt you by saying, just say, you won't, you won't, you won't, you won't. But in the end, it leaves you saying, I can't. I find it, I find it fascinating. I find it fascinating. And, and maybe you're like on the borderline of Christianity. You know, maybe, maybe you're like a little bit further down the road in your maturity, and maybe you're full on sold out to Jesus. I just find it fascinating. Why is it always easier to say no to God than it is to say no to the things that substitute for God? Why is it easier to say no to God? God, I'm not going to do that anymore. God, I'm leaving. I've had it with her. I've had it with him. I'm not gonna forgive him. God, look, look, God, I'm a senior in high school. God, so close your eyes and I'm gonna do what I wanna do and maybe check in with me in nine months. Why is that easier? Why is it ultimately easier to say no to God than it is to say no to the things that substitute for God? Think about it. Why is it easier to say no why is it easier to say, God, I, I know she's not good for me. God, I know he's not good for me. God, I know I don't have any business moving in with him or her. I know I don't have any business seeing them on the side. God, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. But I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Why is it so much easier to say no to God than it is then to say no to the thing that substitutes for God and now you're in it waist deep. And now you're in that relationship. And now you've moved in. And now that fling is going on the side. And you've got it completely covered. And you've got all the angles figured out. No one's going to find out. And if they do find out, here's what I'm going to do about this or that. Why is it that now that you want out, it's so much more difficult to get out from this substitute king than it was to get away from the real king, the creator king? Why is it more difficult to say no to the created thing than it is to say no to your creator king? Why is it easier, much easier to say no God and now that that thing in your life has become this addiction and now this thing has control over you and now it's wrecking you financially and emotionally and relationally 
Why is it so much more difficult to say no to that thing than it was originally to say no to God in the first place? And I'll tell you why. Because those substitute kings, they don't love you, and those substitute kings are not merciful. The substitute kings will control you. And the substitute kings will take away your freedom. Now listen, you can learn this the hard way or you can take my word for it. You either can live through life and figure this out on your own or you can trust that maximum freedom is found under the covering of God's authority. Every single time. Every single time. Maximum freedom is always found under the covering of God's authority. Authority, and it's never found under the covering of these little kings. That's why, listen, that's why it's easier to say no to God than it is to say no to those things because those things want to control you. They want to entrap you and they want to keep you. Now what's fascinating is kind of the end of this kind of introductory into Judges as we see how it's already starting to unfold In Judges chapter three, verse eight, this is kind of the result of how it all ends. It says this, it says, the anger of the Lord burned against Israel so that he sold them into the hands of, I'm gonna read this slow so I can pronounce it right, sold them into the hands of Cushan Rishathaim, king of Aram Naharaim. I think I got that right. To whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. It's like God said, hey, listen, you want Canaanite ways? Go ahead and have their Canaanite king. Have their Canaanite gods. At least you can actually pronounce my name right. It's amazing. For eight years they suffered, and they suffered under the culture of the man that they chose to follow. They suffered under the king whose culture that they embraced, and they suffered under the rulership of a king whose gods they chose to worship for eight long years. And then at the, eight, at the end of those eight years, they did something that some of you have done. They did something that some of you are thinking about doing, maybe you're ready to do. They did something that some of you need to do, and that's this, that they simply said, oh God, I have sinned. And I have been fooled. And I have substituted the creator king for a created thing. And I had thought that expressing my independence that somehow I would gain more freedom. But in the exercising of my independence, I actually gave it away. And now we've been conquered by the very thing that we chose to copy. God, would you deliver us? And what's so fascinating is that God turned to them and said, yes, because you're still my people. Because he's a God of mercy. It's fascinating to me. That's really what this whole book is about, guys. It's this tragedy, and you read it, and it's so like horrible and you see how terrible they were and the judges just keep getting worse and they make horrible life decisions 
And yet what we see unfold in this story and all throughout the Old Testament is that God is a God of mercy and compassion. Slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, not repaying us according to our sins, but giving us mercy for generation after generation. Do you know that God? And maybe when you read the Old Testament, you have a different picture emerge, but what we see all throughout Scripture is that God is a God of mercy, and He is so merciful that He lets you choose He doesn't force his way on you. You know why you get to choose? You know why it's so easy to say no to God? Because because maximum freedom is found under the covering of God's authority and he doesn't want to control you. The little gods do. He doesn't want to control you. You know why he doesn't want to control you? Because he wants you to choose him. And he wants you to love him. And the little gods don't have any understanding of that whatsoever. And the only way for you to have a love relationship with God would be for Him to give you the freedom to choose and then for Him to extend grace and mercy when you turn to come back to Him. And just as we see Him kind of take back Israel over and over and over again, He'll take you back over and over again. And this is where kind of like the pastor's heart in me comes out because nothing gives me greater joy and nothing gives us as a faith community greater joy than when you see someone saying, I'm not gonna turn to those little kings anymore. I'm gonna turn back to my creator king. But here's the tragedy. Here's the tragedy in the midst of all that is that you can't get your 20s back. You can't get your 30s back. And you can't reparent your kids. And you and you can't you can't do that first marriage all over again. And all of those years and all of those experiences once they're gone, they're gone. And that time was wasted. That joy was wasted serving those little kings. And they don't even care about your future. So kind of like our bottom line here as we kind of set this up for the weeks to come is that in our attempt to do what we want to do when we want to do it, in our attempt to gain freedom, all we ever do when we do that, when we say to God, I don't really care about what you want, when we say to our conscience, you know what, I'm not going to pay attention to you, I'm sick of listening to you, when we put God in the rear view mirror, all we do, we have not chosen our independence, we have simply chosen one king over another. Now let me pray, pray for you and over you and just kind of invite the Spirit in our time, even as we enter to a moment here of worship that we would just allow God's spirit to do something as we just think about this stuff here. With every eye closed, every head bowed, let's just spend a couple moments here and pray for you. God, thank you. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, this warning, this timely warning, this kind of startling reminder for us. 
God, thanks that in these moments, it kind of gives us this context to understand what we've been experiencing in our lives right now. God, and to recognize that just like Israel's story, that you choose to welcome back those who turn to you because you are a God of mercy. Because you're a God of kindness. Because you're a God of patience. God, give us the wisdom to know what to do with what we heard. Lord, and for, uh, for that person that's kind of on that edge right now, that's maybe thinking about leaving, that's processing I'm gonna do what I wanna do. God, my prayer is that they would turn to you, that they would choose you as their creator king over their own wants, desires. God, that you'd meet them in that space. God, that you'd speak to their hearts. God, give them the courage to do what they know that they need to do. God, we pray this, Lord, pray this all in the matchless name of Jesus, God, who is our creator king, the king of kings. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.